Thanks for joining us on another episode of Psyche of Sales, where we explore the mindset and the psyche of top salespeople and sales leaders. My name's Johnny Lee, the CEO and co-founder of Enable SE and the digital learning platform Enable IQ. And we're joined today by Stella Cho. And I've been lucky enough to work with Stella on a number of occasions and from coaching her, coaching her teams, and have seen firsthand the strength of her leadership, the strength of her pitching capability, and how she brings even the most junior all the way to the most senior members together, gets them aligned and gets them involved and engaged. So in this episode, we explore what it takes to be a leader like that, what it takes to really understand the drivers of your clients so you can have a winning pitch out there, and also, what it takes to be able to apply the learnings that you take and put them where it means the most, which is in the field. So if you like it, you get value from it, please give us some feedback, rate us, review us and share it. We really want to change the way the world sells. Hi, Johnny. How are you? Really good. Thank you so much for joining us. And I might start by a really simple question. Stella, can you tell us a bit about what you do for a living? Sure. Uh, I am currently the corporate banking head for Australia, New Zealand at City, uh, responsible for covering all of our institutional client relationships across both countries. Um, so a lot of our clients are the big, large corporates that we all know and love, um, all of the big financial institutions that where uh, we do, we can transact a lot of our personal uh, business as well as our, uh, uh, as well as our corporate business. Um, we support a lot of the public sector as well. So uh, federal as well as state government institutions. Um, and of course, our global subsidiaries team, uh, which supports all the multinational relations that we have around the world, uh, where they have strong, really uh, significant operations across Australia and New Zealand. So it's a pretty broad role and you look after a broad range of stakeholders and customers. And that's something uh, we've obviously worked together before. And, and I thought that's one of the biggest challenges of a role like yours. But I believe uh, that you've got a new role. So that's not true for, for too long, this particular role. So can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Yep. So I've uh, recently been appointed the Asia Pacific head for the global subsidiaries group. So responsible for all of our uh, multinational uh, corporate relationships across Asia Pacific. Uh, so yeah, that's very exciting. So that's uh, that's actually kicked off. So I'm currently double hatting. Oh, two jobs. Two jobs <laughs> for the that'd price be, of one. Be beautiful. All right. Well, that sounds nice and easy for you to, to be able to manage. So probably even more so, I want to thank, say thank you for the time that you've put aside for us. And um, I suppose with the masterclasses, we're looking for experts in their field to share some of their story about how they learned what they learned, how they became masters in their class, so to speak. And there's a couple of areas I wanted to touch on today. And so number one was around leadership. Uh, that's something that I've mentioned to you before that I've really noticed around being able to bring people through the organization, your, your focus on all kinds of diversity within your organization and your teams, but also the accountability and, and, and I'll call it positive pressure that you put on some of the juniors to come through the business. And then the second is you are still in a sales role and a pitching role. And, and obviously that's what Enable IQ and Enable SE looks at and talks to every day. So I'd love to explore some of that as well, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. That sounds great. So why don't we start with where it all began and tell us a bit about how you got into the industry. Sure. Um, look, I actually had never intended to go into banking and finance. It's not something I uh, thought about when I was younger. Um, I always thought I'd go into more uh, public policy, humanitarian affairs, and had um, started out my career um, at the UN uh, for um, working at an, an UN organization in Geneva for another international organization in, uh, in Brussels, uh, mostly focused on uh, migration and refugee issues. Um, uh, but I went to uh, the University of Pennsylvania and the Wharton Business School is, uh, is the uh, business school attached to that university. 
Uh, so there are a lot of very close contacts um, into uh, the large corporates, into the banks, consulting firms. Um, and through that network, um, I had an opportunity to um, start out at uh, Old Chase um, in their analyst training program. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to, this is actually a great opportunity for me to get a, a couple of years experience on the finance side, which I thought is an important um, element to anything, any kind of position that you have um, in the future. Um, in the meantime, also think about where I want to really focus my, um, uh, my energies, whether it was going to be a around poverty or uh, women's issues. Uh, but I started out uh, in, uh, in high yield bond origination in New York uh, in the late 90s. And uh, it was a super exciting time <laughs> in, that, in that product area. And we were just going absolute gangbusters. And so we're working around the clock. Um, there wasn't really time to think about anything else. Um, and you know, soon I found myself on a plane to London to help them uh, build out the corporate high yield business, and um, and you know was really just on this uh, career path. So uh, that's kind of how I started in banking, and um, and then kind of halfway through, I um, you know decided to take a sabbatical and went to go volunteer with UNICEF um, in their Asia Pacific head, a regional headquarters in Bangkok. Um, at the time. And, um, and it was during that time, you know, I was able to kind of reconcile my desire to kind of help communities and societies, uh, but at the same time, you know, kind of continue to develop myself and network and build my, um, you know, build my own, uh, my own skill set. Um, and so ended up coming back into, um, into banking, um, and, you know, with a view to potentially doing something more later on. Right. So, Humanitarian was the focus originally, and then we uh, lost another humanitarian to, to banking. Um, from there, but you sort of mentioned you got into it quite quickly and it was moving so quickly you couldn't think. What was it about it that, that really drew you in? You know, it's a, it's a really fast-paced environment um, and it's... Um, it's one where you know people need to come up the curve very quickly. You kind of have to figure things out. You know, you need to uh, you know keep on learning, stepping up your own um, knowledge base and skill base in a, in a short amount of time. Um, it's also um, you know where a lot of bright people kind of converge. Uh, so you know being able to work with you know some of the best and brightest was super exciting. Um, and the other element that I really enjoy was the fact that it's very much a meritocracy. Um, I think out of all the industries out there, um, this is probably one of the most meritocratic industries where, you know, what you produce and what you're able to contribute um, is, is pretty black and white. And, um, and I think that's something where it doesn't really matter where you're from, who you are, what you look like, you know, what you've been able to produce and contribute is something that, you know, is recognized and acknowledged. It's an interesting point, isn't it? Because uh, one of the things I love about sales and, and pitching is you either win it or you don't. And it's a, a bit tongue in cheek, but we often talk about that uh, if six companies are pitching for a major pitch, one wins and five come second, because uh, so often we hear this and say, look, we didn't win it, but we were really close and, and uh, we almost got there. It was just one or two key things there. Whereas whether you're close or not, it's the exact same result, isn't it? You get nothing out of it. And I think it's that idea of, of you know, being black and white allows high performers to, they love that, that they love the idea that you either get rewarded or you don't, you win, you don't. And it's, it's interesting to hear that that's one of the things that, that drew you to it, uh, which probably explains why you're a high performer. <laughs> Tell me, you said you took some time out to, to work at UNICEF in Bangkok and, and I'm not sure how long you spent there, but I'm really curious about what did you learn from a lessons perspective, whether it's through leadership, whether it be through you know, work ethic, whether it be around you know, communication. I'm really keen to know what are some of those lessons that have driven you to where you are now? 
Yeah, I, look, I think at UNICEF, it was very much about collaboration. Um, you've got all of these different program teams, uh, whether it's, you know, water and sanitation, education, nutrition, and they're very focused on, on those particular um, topics and those particular areas, you know, in terms of um, really being able to contribute and help children around the world. Um, and so where I was, uh, where I was working, which was essentially to help um, build partnerships with multinationals with multinationals across Asia Pacific, uh, really working with those program officers and program teams to determine, you know, how to uh, be able to best collaborate with that particular company that wanted to partner with UNICEF. Um, you know, it just meant that I had to learn a lot about those different programs and then work with each of those programs with the client and act as that bridge to bring them together. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what, um, you know, happens in so many industries and it happens in finance as well and banking where, you know, we've got so many different product areas, we've got so many different clients and pulling it all together um, and you know, acting, as that, you know, acting as that bridge to be able to um, connect and be able to make sure that um, we can help uh, you know, the program team as well as the clients. Um, you know, that's something that was, um, that was actually a great learning for me. Yeah, interesting. I had it described once as you're almost the facilitator. You're facilitating the different, whether it be products, the different teams to be able to get the best result. And it, it comes down to how well you can conduct or facilitate those teams on whether you get the end result or not. Yeah, and a lot of it has to do with communication, right? So, you know, an organization like UNICEF is very much focused on the sustainability um, aspect to it, the, the long-term impact, um, you know, the kind of the, um, it's not necessarily just quantifiable impact. And, you know, for clearly a lot of the companies that want to partner and give, um, you know, they want to see what the quantifiable impact is, you know, how many schools am I going to be uh, building? How many children am I going to be affecting and, and um, in a positive way? And so, you know, kind of being able to kind of build that communication across those different kind of languages um, is, is, pretty, is pretty important. It's the same with, you know, same in, in, in banking. I think the, it takes me back to the first time I met you. We were running a session with a lot of EMDs from your bank across uh, Australia and New Zealand. And we talked about that idea of getting to the outcome, getting to what the customer wants or the client gets out of this. And we work with a couple of not-for-profits that we've supported. And like corporates, they get very good at talking about what they do as opposed to the outcome that you achieve. And I think in the not-for-profits, one of the things we've learned a lot is, is getting them to communicate to the outcome because there's such a human outcome and such a broad outcome when it comes to humans as well. And whilst banking can be seen as in, in some cases, uh, drier or cleaner, there are genuine outcomes for individuals who work for these organizations, their customers and their clients. And it's how do we articulate that? How do we get it? And how do we do it in 30 seconds or 10 seconds? How do we do it quickly? Which is always the, the biggest challenge. Yeah, and Johnny, I have to say, you did an amazing session uh, for for our team at at City in Australia. I mean, the, the I think all the MDs raved about what you're able to bring to us, and really gave us a much clearer you know picture and understanding of you know where we could uh, where we could improve our pitching our own pitching skills. Um, and then I brought you back to kind of do a session with my team more broadly. And again, I think some of the guys said you know that was the best um, that was the best thing that ever, they've ever done at City. So um, thank you so much for that. Stop it, Stella. I can't. I can't. I can't anymore. But no, it's it, it is. Um, we love what we do, and hopefully, it comes across when we talk to it. But we work across so many products and so many organisations and style of organisations, and our expertise is the pitching. It's not the product. And sometimes I think when you're an expert in something, you get caught up in that detail. And so we've got fund managers who, who we work globally with because we speak to their message clearer than they speak to the message because they know every stock. They know every currency, they know every detail and the work that goes into it, but the end buyer isn't interested in that. 
That might yeah. be due diligence later, but that's not what engages them. And I think that when we, we get to that point and almost the bigger the organisation or the bigger the not-for-profit, the more of the story that we want to tell. You know, 20 minutes in, we're still telling the, the story of the organisation. You know, back in 1956 when we founded this part of it. But yeah, but what do we get out of it today? And so I think that's really important. And, and I know that's something that you took on a leadership role even within the leaders around that because you were able to talk to, you actually used live examples for, for your business and your clients on how you can get, you know, a better message and a clearer message across, which was, was good to see from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, look, I think your training was super compelling for all of us. Um, you know, I think you're absolutely right. It's so easy for us to just get into our own messaging, our own story, you know, what we do at City, you know, who we are, and not necessarily translate that to why it's why that matters for the client, right? We talk about client centricity internally all the time, but really getting into that client mindset is, is it can be very challenging. Yeah, I, I don't want to keep harping on this, but I do remember running a... Um, an internal strategy session and we looked at who are the key stakeholders with this particular product we were launching and i think the customer came up 13th wasn't within your organization but one of their values was customer centricity but they didn't come up as a stakeholder and i think it's, it's so easy to forget that because we're so busy and we're so focused on so many things but it just comes back to these fundamentals doesn't it who's the customer what are they doing what are they thinking what are they feeling and, and how do we drive that uh, better so to speak Absolutely. Understanding all of that, but also kind of trying to figure out how your, you know, what you're offering, you know, yeah. matters to them, right? And be able to communicate it in a really simple, clear, articulate, you know, compelling way. And I think that's something that you really helped us achieve. I could literally spend hours talking about this, but it is one more thing you've just pointed on that is, is that idea of what matters to them. And then how does our offering match that? And it's, it's that idea of, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about stakeholder analysis and questioning to uncover their drivers, like what really drives them. And then we talk about how does your product match? And one of the missing links we see often is that we get good at questioning and good at stakeholder analysis. And then we just offer the same thing we would have offered anyone. And we use our language and our words and, and it doesn't resonate because it's not what's important to them. So it almost says to them, you're not listening even though the offering could be the same, it's just relating it back to that. So um, anyway, I'll, I'll keep moving on. I'm really curious for you is, what was an influencer for you in your career? Was it a, a person or was it people? Was it some training that you did? Was it, you know, what was it to you that, that influenced you to, to get to where you are today? Oh, you know, I have to say it's probably kind of the, um, you know, my sponsors, you know, some of my bosses um, that I had over the years. Um, I've had some incredible, incredible bosses who've really helped me just increase my, um, you know, increase my kind of networking, open doors for me, introduce me to, you know, to other people um, and just, um, and really kind of helped, you know, advocate uh, for me, uh, you know, across, um, you know, across the business and in up to kind of senior management. Um, and that's, you know, that was, that was incredibly helpful. Um, and, you know, that really kind of also gave me the confidence to be able to keep pushing forward, um, knowing that I had, you know, great sponsorship and great advocates behind me. Um, I'm a big believer in, you know, having, you know, kind of a board of directors, if you will. So, you know, it's kind of over time, you know, over, you know, over, you know, many years of a career, you kind of, you know, connect with people, you know, over, over those years, over those many years of working. And, you know, they may, they, they may not be people that are, formally you know mentoring you or sponsoring you they're just you know maybe a boss that you had that you really you know you really enjoyed working with um, and you know they're, they're people that you just stay in touch with you know people that you can bounce ideas off of at a later time um, so yeah over the years I you know I've you know developed a really good group of 
friendships with a number of people um, like this, where you know, even if a year or two goes by and I haven't, you know, we haven't spoken, I can still, you know, call on them and, you know, bounce ideas, you know, and ask them for their thoughts, you know, ask them for an introduction or opening doors. Um, and that's, um, that's really, that's really uh, been incredibly critical to, uh, to my progression. It's good to hear. I had a cup of coffee in the office of a quite influential CEO. So he's, he's influential in both the uh, public sector as well as private sector, very well known. And he met with me because I cold emailed him off an article that was in the AFR and asked if we could continue this conversation. It was around leadership and mentoring. And he told me that he has half a dozen mentors uh, and that the range of informal and formal, and he'd go to different mentors depending on what he wanted or needed at the time. And, and I really took that on and I've probably got, I think five mentors that I, would, that I would call that. And some of them are friends as well as mentors. Some of them I would only call on if there was something quite formal to discuss and, and, and that was worth their time as well as mine. But I'd get different things from different people. And I think the more you can get that you don't need a mentor to do all of it for you. Uh, plus we've got to trust ourselves, don't we? We've got to think that we're pretty good at what we do. And it's that addition or it's the challenge that we have. It's, it's that ability to, you know, I'm a, a pretty headstrong, confident person. So I often go to mentors to actually push back and challenge me uh, to, to, to understand, do I really believe it? And I think that's great to hear that you've had multiple. Can I ask this idea of, were you a bit of a natural early or is this something that took a while to click? And, and if so, what was it, the moment that it really clicked for you? Yeah, look, I mean, I've always, um, you know, enjoyed meeting people, developing relationships. Um, you know, I think I've just been, you know, very fortunate to have some really inspired leaders, um, you know, that I've been able to work with. And, you know, that's not necessarily true for a lot of people, but I've been pretty lucky. And so those people I've really, um, you know, cultivated that relationship with. And I think for me, developing those relationships and um, having those interpersonal skills, you know, I've, I've had, um, you know, from early on. Um, but I think the kind of the leadership aspect, um, you know, certainly that's taken a lot of hard work. Um, and that's taken a lot of, you know, kind of experiences, a lot of, you know, failures and learnings along the way. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a continuous journey. It's, you know, nobody's perfect. And there's always things that are constantly changing and evolving. Um, you know, I think I would say that very early on, my you know, leadership style was very much involved a lot of micromanagement, which, um, you know, which can be um, incredibly um, difficult for lots of people around you. Um, and, you know, I've had to evolve that over time, you know, with, you know, bigger teams and, um, you know, different, different um, circumstances, you know, it's, it's just been, you, know, you can't kind of do, you know, lead that way anymore. Um, and then I think the you have to continuously challenge yourself because the world is changing, you know, I think 20, 25 years ago, um, you know, people were working, you know, 120 hours a week, and, you know, pulling all nighters, you know, you're working seven days a week, and that was just the accepted, you know, kind of practice, and there was a lot of shouting in the office, and swearing, and, you know, all of those type of things, um, and, you know, today's environment is very different, you know, I think um, people, you know, young people don't come into the workforce thinking that, or expecting to be shouted at or, you know, be pulling all-nighters, you know, there's a sense, sense of, you know, I want to be treated, you know, well, I want to you know, have some work-life balance, I want to be a well-rounded individual, you know, I need training, I need support, you know, so there's, it's a different environment altogether, and, um, and I think, you know, we need to kind of evolve as leaders to be able to lead, um, you know, as the entire world progresses as well, so, you know, it's a constant challenge for myself to kind of, you know, um, uh, you know, Kind of rethink you know old values or old beliefs and be able to you know continue to update them over time and really try and progress as as, as the world evolves i like that idea of being able to lead through change 
I think it's what the best leaders do. I think when things are constant, you can just get into a, a process, right? You can get into an operating rhythm and that can be quite easy. But when the world changes like it has, and, and I've certainly seen some of the best leadership of my life in the last two years, but I've also seen some of the most challenged leadership of my life from people where they, they haven't been able to lead through the change. It, 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 it's really hit them themselves and then struggle to, to drive it forward. You have this, I don't know what you call it, maybe curiosity. Like I know Brené Brown talks about that idea of being a curious leader. And we think in, in sales and pitching, it's, it's curiosity is a really big trait. And that's something for me that's, that's always come across for you. Is that a natural curiosity for you or is that something you, you push yourself on? Yeah, no, I'm naturally pretty curious. Um, you know, I think that's always been important in my, um, in just my development um, in my, in my field, you know, I've had to be curious about, you know, all of the different things um, that, you know, kind of unfold, whether it's with a client or whether new products, you know, what we're able to offer, you know, the changing landscape that's, you know, that's, um, uh, that we need to kind of, you know, stay, stay on top of. Um, so yeah, I'm naturally curious to learn more about everything. <laughs> so I tend to ask lots of questions. Um, and I love the nature of my job because it is so varied. Um, you know, I can get involved with clients from all different industries, whether it's, you know, media, technology, healthcare, uh, metals and mining resources, all the way through to looking at different kinds of products, whether it's um, ESG linked, um, you know, sustainability linked uh, financings, or uh, whether it's, um, you know, commodity hedging, um, looking at, you know, geopolitical issues and how that's impacting a lot of our clients. Um, cybersecurity, which is, you know, which is also a massive topic. So, you know, I have a natural curiosity to learn about all of these areas and go deeper and wider. And, um, and, you know, I think that's been, that's been important for me. And I think also from a leadership perspective, I'm really curious about people. Um, you know, I really feel like there's something to learn from every single interaction, every single person that you meet. And um, yeah, so I think that, you know, for me, that's been, um, that's been, that's been quite fun. I do find that the, some of the best leaders and the best salespeople are, are curious and maybe that's why we get on so well because I, I often just, I want to know things. I want to understand why is that the case? And so I listen to a lot of podcasts while I'm exercising and not only do I just listen to it, I then have to Google it and search it. I send myself emails throughout the podcast to, to make sure I'm questioning and how do I use it with what we're doing? So I think that's a, that's a really good trait to have. I want to come back to this, this idea of leadership and you've got this drive to have diversity in your team. And I think diversity often comes across as, you know, in one way we want to be diverse, but you've really hit that idea of being diverse in many. I might start with that and, and tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, um, you know, diversity is so incredibly important. You know, I think um, a lot of our, um, when we think about our, our, you know, the world that we live in and, you know, the clients that we're servicing, you know, at City, it's, it, there's, it, it's so diverse and clients are increasingly becoming more and more global as well. And, you know, our, our kind of way of thinking um, has to reflect that. And, you know, I think we need to challenge ourselves to have a broader, more creative way of thinking. That's what's happening right now. If you think about all of the digital enhancements and innovation, all the pioneering uh, strategies, the different ways that, you know, our clients are connecting with their own customers or their suppliers, it's all changing at a rapid pace, which means that we need a lot more creativity uh, within our own teams to be able to um, be able to, you know, pro provide solutions for those clients. So having more diversity is going to increase that kind of creativity. And um, so, you know, for me, it's not just about, you know, gender diversity. It's about having people from, you know, different kind of um, age groups to kind of having, um, a, you know, generational 
um, you know, uh, business, a team that kind of spans different generations, but also, uh, you know, having people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, um, you know, it's just, um, it's, it's just important to have that. So I think the team that, you know, I've got here is, you know, they've got people from, you know, from Ireland, from Italy, from Argentina, from Brazil, from Singapore, from Malaysia, and from all, all walks of life as well. Um, people who didn't necessarily start out in ba from banking, you know, they've, uh, they, you know, came in with a completely different um, backgrounds, degrees. Um, and I think that's really helped us produce an incredibly, um, incredibly strong team of people um, who are supporting clients incredibly successfully. I think it's a really brave thing to do as well. I think uh, to just hire the same people from the same group in the same pool, you're going to get a really similar result. And there's such a fight for that talent. It just ends up with, we just have to pay more. Or do we try and sell our culture to them? You know, it, it ends up with a, you know, a race to the bottom in some degree, because there's only so much talent there. One of our clients took the brave step recently of, of for just a six month period, only hired from outside the industry. Because when we looked at the industry, we thought, we think we've got the best talent. So if we want the best, we have to go outside of it. And so I think from that perspective, it, it, it's brave, but it also makes sense to have different people challenging you and different people thinking about it. I know that when we work on these major pitches or a trade sale, I don't know anything about this particular mining business and what it is that they're mining, but that's not my job. My job is to get them to be able to position it effectively to potential buyers. And so we ask different questions, but I also know that when I work with different organizations and yours was a, a great example of that, I'm learning all the time because I'm learning from a, a different way of thinking. We, we, we attack problems from different areas. So I think that's, uh, that's really clear from working with your team around that idea of diversity. I wanna get a bit more practical here. And you did something before our last team session. I think you would have had 45 or maybe 40 odd people that were on that session. And before I sort of give the result of it and the outcome from a facilitator's perspective, how did you prep and prime your team leading up to that session? Um, well, I just said that, uh, you know, you had done an incredible session with the MDs in the business and, um, you know, that, you know, while everyone does an incredible job of, you know, building their relationships and, and servicing their clients, you know, we can probably do a better, you know, better job of communicating and, um, you are the communications expert. So <laughs> I asked everyone to kind of be prepared to, you know, kind of learn and take in what, you know, what you can, um, you know, what you, what you had to say. Did you give any specific prep work or any specific instructions to different members of the team or different groups of the team? No, I didn't. I, I just, um, no, I, I, I pretty much, you know, kind of let it, um, let it flow. I mean, the team has been working together for, you know, quite a long time and um, they're a pretty cohesive unit. They're also a very open-minded group. Um, yeah. And so, you know, wanted to kind of, you know, have a fairly clean slate for you to come and, you know, deliver your, um, your ideas and your thought. And I love the fact that we kind of had these breakouts, breakout rooms where people could actually, you know, put it into practice. Um, and I think people found that to be really useful versus just having someone you know, just a monologue, <laughs> monologue training session, which I tend to find um, not particularly uh, productive. Yeah, no one wants to hear me speak for four hours straight, I can promise you that. Uh, <laughs> what blew me away, and this is the, the, the impact, I suppose, from, from whatever the words that you did say, is that within the first 30 minutes, every single member of your team had volunteered to get involved in some way. 
And I've never seen that before in such a short space of time. So some of your you know, managing directors, you know, the leaders within the team were getting very involved, but some of the more junior members of the team, so those that have you know, clearly newer in the business, had the confidence to put their hand up, to challenge and to, to have a go, to try. And I think that's that psyche of if you want to do better and get better, you have to put yourself out there. You have to get uncomfortable. And I noticed that within the team. And I, it's probably what drew me to you and your leadership so quickly and so strongly is they had the confidence to be able to go and do that. So I suppose a, a question for you is, how have you been able to foster that confidence within your team? Um, yeah, look, I, I, I want everyone to have a voice and you know, certainly in a, in a safe environment, like you know, when it's just within our, our team or it's a team meeting, I want people to feel like you know, they, have, you know, they should have the confidence to speak up, right? This isn't like a massive forum with you know, lots of um, other people from the public or what, whatnot. So um, typically when we have you know, our team meetings, um, you know, I will just call on people. <laughs> so um, you know, the expectation is that your video is on. Um, so yeah, people's videos off, typically they'll you know, say I'm driving somewhere or you know, they're, they're, they're not feeling well or whatnot. But um, typically you know, most people's or almost everyone's video is on. Um, and people know that I will just call on people and you know ask people to you know you know, you know um, mention what their observation is or if they had a question or you know speak about a particular topic that you know I know that they're um, you know heavily involved in or maybe it's a particular transaction that they worked on um, and so I want everyone to feel like they're involved and engaged um, and someone actually <laughs> noted that um, I tend to call on people whose videos might be off. <laughs> As do I. Yep. So I think, um, yeah, but it's, but I want people to realize, and like, I think the more practice people have, um, you know, the more uh, comfortable they feel to, you know, to speak um, and participate. Um, and then I think, you know, particularly with, you know, maybe the, some of the quieter juniors, you know, I will send them a text message if I have a guest speaker and say, hey, haven't heard your question yet, you know, looking yes. forward to hearing your, your, you know, your observations or your sharing. And so, um, you know, I will kind of, um, you know, make, you know, put a little bit of, a little bit of pressure on people to get involved. I mean, frankly, it's, it also staves off boredom, right? You know, how many like boring meetings, not your session, of course, but, you know, other meetings that we're in all day long and, you know, it's very easy to tune out, but, you know, if you know that you have to, you know, be engaged and you need to, you know, kind of contribute in that way, um, you know, people tend to be, you know, more thoughtful. They tend to be, you know, they're, they're, they're not asleep. <laughs> so. Well, I think when you're running training sessions, you, you almost want when they're online to be as though you're sitting in a boardroom or a, a conference room. Yeah, that level of accountability to it. And the reason I make the point is, is that was a Friday session and it was four hours with 40 people. So there's a real risk when it comes to that of, of people switching off and they could sit back and let it happen for them. And that wasn't the case. And, and so for me, the four hours just flew by. Um, well, I think it flew by for, for my team too. I mean, it wasn't, it, you know, it was no work on their part to be engaged. Actually, you did an incredible job of being really, you know, really relevant, really compelling that I think people wanted to, you know, also engage with you and you know, your team and get feedback on what they were thinking, were they thinking about it in the right way? How could they kind of pivot, you know, kind of how they were presenting something, a particular topic and, you know, get your views. I think, you know, you created that, um, that atmosphere very, very quickly. Well, I appreciate that. And I do think, though, it it's, says a lot about the group itself. And, and, and obviously, I, 
you know, I like what I do. It, but there's days like that where it, it feels effortless because of the the group being so engaged, and and I get to talk about a topic that I'm excited and interested in, and it means we get to apply it and, and relate it back to things that are live, which again makes it more interesting. The reverse of that, though, is I had a session the day before, and it was quite a big training session for the group. And out of the twelve people that were there, six of them were from their car, and one was from a cafe. And they said, oh, I hope that's okay. And I said, well, but why are you out when we've got training? Like, it's in your diary. We should be there focused on, on this. And it was a, it was a really challenging piece. And, and of course, I'm getting paid to do what I do, but I love what I do and I want to get outcomes. And I didn't feel as though I could get the outcome from where we were sitting at the time. So I asked if we could move the session. They said, no, no, let's keep it going because it's in the diary. But it felt like we were getting 20% of the value of what we could have had if we were just there focused and sharing for each other. And I felt for the five that were sitting in their homes, you know, focused on a camera because they were there ready to learn and yeah. the others weren't. And, and I think that comes down to one, individual accountability. Now, what role do I play when I'm sitting in something to do with training? Uh, but also from a leadership perspective, I think that they weren't driven. And I get the impression that that wouldn't have been okay if half your team was, you know, on the road sitting on their telephone, um, you know, at a cafe or a bar or something like that. No, not so much. <laughs> Um, I want to ask you this around with a client. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, I want to ask you about your career, and, and obviously you've you've worked in a number of different countries. Or I say obviously, but maybe others don't know. We've obviously heard the states, we've heard Bangkok, we've heard London, and obviously me here you're in Australia. But I want to did was there ever a fork in the road? Was there ever you know a, a defining moment in your career where you could have chosen one way or the other, and you you decided to follow the path you're on now? Yeah, I mean, I think it was probably when I went and did that sabbatical, took that sabbatical and volunteer with UNICEF, I actually thought that was going to be my path kind of back into um, the international organizations and humanitarian work. And, um, and it was over that course of that year that, um, you know, the head of UNICEF at the time uh, was a former banker, um, long-term banker. And, you know, once she finished her banking career, um, you know, she had this incredible skill set, this incredible network, and then she was appointed the director general of UNICEF, and she was able to go in and make lots of waves and, and a significant impact. And, you know, I thought, I think that's probably going to be more of my path. And that was a real kind of defining moment for me in terms of which path I went, you know, from that point onwards. And, you know, a lot of people in financial services, you know, they, you know, it's, it's not, um, you know, they, they have a career for a long time, but, you know, you can kind of almost have a second life. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people in financial services will go and, and, and you know, want to make a contribution and, and give back. Um, and so I think, um, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of how I felt that um, I would kind of take the course of my, my life and my career. Um, so I went back into banking and, you know, I missed it. I missed the fast pace. I missed, um, you know, the kind of drive and the, um, and the energy and the adrenaline that comes with, um, you know, doing some of the, um, you know, big transactions with, you know, some of the most, um, most uh, iconic clients out there. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I, I came back for that. Okay. I'll, I'll, Keep moving with that. And, and obviously you like fast paced because you're doing two jobs at once at the moment. So, and I, and I know the, the other context of obviously moving and things like that. So you've got a lot on your plate at the moment. So again, I'm, I'm mindful of time, but thinking about doing these transactions with, with some of the world's most iconic companies, if you could sit down and talk to a group of people around, for lack of a better term, sales or pitching, what are some parameters? What are some rules? What are some you know tips that you'd provide around what really works in a high-performing environment uh, when it comes to selling and pitching? 
Look, I think number one, you have to know your client. You, you really need to know your client inside out, um, you know, really what their concerns are, what they're good at, what they're, you know, finding trouble with. Um, you, you know, you want, you want to know everything that you can. You want to also know what the, um, what your key, you know, what the key individuals in those organizations, those key decision makers, you know, what is, what's driving them? You know, you know, what are they, what are they trying to achieve and, you know, and how can we help them achieve those goals? Um, I think that's, you know, that's got to be number one. Uh, we, we need to really know our client well um, and not make assumptions. Um, you know, we should be in a position to, and hopefully um, ask, you know, very direct questions. Um, you know, I, you know, I tried to tell my team that, you know, we run a very transparent, um, you know, very open relationship with our clients. So, you know, it's, it's very much direct conversations, open transparency. And I think that communication is, is really important to knowing more about the client and, and but also being able to service their, um, their needs as the best that we can. I know a, um, a lady who's a really high performing salesperson that I work with and they were, were doing a stakeholder analysis. And I said, so, so who knows what about this? And there was a couple of things we didn't know. And they said, can we go and contact them? Well, can we get in touch? She said, no, no, on a Wednesday, she goes and does this with her son. Uh, so don't call her then on Thursday morning has Pilates and then so after nine o'clock is the best time to catch them. But if you text her beforehand and say you're going to call, and I just thought, wow, that's knowledge of a client. It's not just about their day-to-day decision-making, it's about what drives them and that individual. And I think sometimes in major transaction, what's lost is it's individuals that make the decision. It's still people who have kids, you know, their job, problems that are having, they're busy, they've got a lot on. So it's not always a fully framed decision-making process. Sometimes there is gut involved, there is emotion involved. And if, if someone cares enough to know your diary and know your schedule, they're probably someone you want to work with over the long term as well. And so I think that knowing your client, it's, it's every fundamentals we talk about is be great at questioning, be curious, find out more, you know, ask more questions, but, but go deeper rather than just more questions, get ask deeper questions. And I think that's, um, it's good to hear that even in the style of transactions you're doing, it's still just as critical. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, 100% of people business, right? So it's, um, you know, we're dealing with individuals, we're not just dealing with a corporate, you know, it's not just a box, we're dealing with human beings. And, you know, I think it's, um, I think that's become even more, uh, if it wasn't obvious to everyone already, it's even more obvious over the past couple of years with the pandemic. Um, you know, I think COVID has a huge impact on everyone, you know, it's a, it's a globally shared experience and it's touched every single person in some way. And, you know, it's hard to know what's going on in everyone's lives, right? But, you know, it's, you, you kind of have to have some empathy that people have been touched in a certain way by this pandemic. And, you know, and, but, you know, in, in a lot of ways you see more of it because, you know, everyone's been working from home. You see their kids running around the background. You see the doorbell going off. You see, you know, all of these things happening or, you know, people are driving somewhere because, you know, they couldn't get help or whatever it was. And so, you know, all of these things are going on. So we see more into people's lives, you know, whether it's our own, you know, our own team members, whether it's, you know, our clients. And so I think everyone's kind of a bit more humanized um, than they were, you know, than they were before. I certainly know a lot more about how strong my clients and teams' kids are at maths and English after the years of homeschooling as well. So, uh, and there's certain year three and four maths that I've now done for some of my team's kids as well. And, uh, you know, certainly it's, it's a strength of mine. Stella, if you ever need a hand, uh, please let me know. Um, but, but, but being in their world, we, we often tell our clients this when we're doing training and, and facilitating is it's a real privilege that you're being invited into that person's world. 
you're in their home. That's that's a different world to, to what we're used to, you know. And, and so you've got to one respect it, uh, but two, just you know, understand that that, that idea of shared experience and, and really use that to to better understand what they're going through. And one of the things we talked about at the, the beginning of the pandemic is just because we thought a certain thing about them then, it doesn't mean that's how it is today. And yeah. I think that's the idea of, of making sure that it's current. Um, final question for you, Stella, and then I'll let you get back on to, to both of your jobs. This idea of, of if you had your time again, I don't mean this idea of regret, but, but it's if you, if you look at it again, there might be steps that you'd skip or something like this. So it, was there anything you'd do differently, faster, better, or if you're speaking to someone who's earlier in their career, whether it be in sales or leadership, what are the two or three things you, you say that you should focus on immediately? Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't have that many regrets. I, you know, I tend to kind of look at, you know, all of the, you know, kind of positive um, opportunities that I've had. Uh, but, you know, one thing, you know, if I looked at my former self, uh, my young self, uh, younger self uh, would be, you know, I wish I was a bit bolder, uh, you know, in my, in my youth. Um, and, you know, I took a little bit more personal risk. Um, I think, uh, you know, I was kind of a, you know, very, um, uh, you know, kind of, very quiet and, um, and, and terrified <laughs> analyst, you know, I was, you know, afraid of anything being, you know, wrong or, you know, and, you know, any, any kind of error of any kind. Um, and so, you know, I was hyper vigilant about that. Um, but you know, what I didn't, what I didn't do a lot of was really speak up, you know? And so I wish I had, you know, taken, been a little bit bolder to kind of put forward my opinions, um, even as a, even as a junior person, um, and so, you know, when I mentor people, uh, you know, I do, you know, one of the concrete things I ask, you know, my mentees to do is in every meeting, you know, ask a question or two or, you know, comment, make a comment or two or an observation or two in every meeting that you're in. And, you know, I wish someone had, you know, kind of forced me into doing that um, when I was younger. Um, and also, you know, building those relationships, you know, it's something that, you know, I've been doing over time, um, but I wish I did it more consciously as well, you know, in terms of um, building those networks, you know, maintaining those networks more strongly. Um, it's something that I do much a much better job of now. But, you know, in those early years, you know, I just, you know, just loved making, you know, these relationships, but, you know, didn't really think about it in a, in a kind of a conscious way. And so um, I wish I had done that as well a little bit more. That idea of being bolder, and if, if maybe we put that back for everyone who's, who's watching or listening on this idea, and, and I had a conversation with a colleague the other day, and they, they said something came out quite naturally, and I said, it didn't 20 odd years ago when I was volunteering and when I was putting my hand up and practicing, and it's almost 20 years of doing it wrong before it becomes comfortable, and I think it's that idea of that 20 years starts from the day you start. That's right. So ask a question, be bold, role play, volunteer, put your hand up. Right. Because I haven't seen anyone who is worse off in their career because they volunteered for something or because they put their hand up. No good leader says, well, they made a mistake. They look at the volunteering and it's, it's that intent more than anything else. And I think that idea of that, if, if we sort of focus on that is, is a big thing for everyone. That second idea of being intentional with networking. I think we, we see that as we, we, we go forward and I'm sure that there's clients you work with today that you worked with five years ago and 10 years ago and 15 years ago. And I certainly know myself of, you know, years of cold calling to now it's networking, it's referrals. It's, 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 you know, there's an entire business that's there. And I'm sure that's the same with you that when people change organizations, they take you with them uh, to that organization. And that comes from continual adding value to them over time. And so I think those two things are, you know, if people only take those, 
be bold and, and be intentional with networking. I think that's a, that's a lot of value. We're gonna let you go. Thank you so much for your time, Stella. Uh, is no, there anything you, you wanted to add or ask before we, before we wrap up? No, that's, uh, thank you so much for having me. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Time flies through this uh, as it always does. But uh, for those who are watching, thanks so much for joining us. And I'm going to quickly say, be bold and be intentional when it comes to networking. The words of Stella Cho. Thanks, Stella. (laughs) Thank you.